This weekend, we are beginning uh, a new uh, series in the season of Lent uh, focused on uh, the mercy of God. Actually, it started on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, but this is our first weekend kind of leaning into this new teaching series. And um, uh, to get started today, I'd like to introduce you to these two gentlemen, right? As you look at the screen, does anyone know who the guy on the left is? George Washington, right? Pretty recognizable. He's on some of our money. He's the first president of the United States, a very important uh, wartime general during the Revolutionary War. Uh, And I have a second gentleman to his right. Don't shout it out yet. Some of you may recognize this fellow, but if you don't, let me just tell you a little bit about him. Uh, In 1777, he also was a general, I think that was the ranking, uh, in the Battle of Saratoga and uh, won a decisive battle during the American Revolution uh, with the result that George Washington referred to him as the bravest of the brave. But by 1780, uh, his opinion of the American experiment uh, had begun to change because during the course of the war, uh, he lost his first wife to illness. He had three young children at the time. He lost the use, I believe it was, of his left leg because it was shattered uh, during one of the battles, and he lost his fortune during the, uh, due to the tumultuous economic uncertainty of that time. And so by 1780, he had resolved in his mind that he would sell military secrets to the British government for the sum of 20,000 British pounds. Now, some speculate that the reason for this was because even though he had successfully courted and married a young, uh, beautiful, socially prominent girl from the city of Philadelphia, he did so by overextending himself financially. He had to buy a property to demonstrate he could take care of her to her father. And as a result, he was being crushed by a mountain of debt. And, And his reputation was being dragged through the mud through a very publicized and dreadfully delayed court-martial trial that may have been a little trumped up or maybe not, depending on who you talk to. In any case, at the end result of it, those 20,000 British pounds seemed like a lifeline to him. And so he sold these military secrets to the British. He moved to England and he began to fight for the enemy. So for the price of 20,000 pounds, he betrayed his country, which he had previously defended with his life. Anyone know who this is? Benedict Arnold, Arnold, right? Perhaps the most well-known and recognized betrayer in the history of the United States. Uh, In the town of New London, Connecticut, as soon as these events had transpired, and I think it was 1782, they began an annual tradition of creating a two-faced effigy of Benedict Arnold that they parade through town. This is a wood carving from all the way back then. Sometimes he's accompanied by a devil figure, right? But always at the end of the parade, they burn the effigy, right? Here's a more recent picture of two-faced Benedict Arnold being set ablaze because he was a traitor. Now, there's probably another well-known traitor that everyone knows and recognizes from Scripture, perhaps the most well-known Uh, person to betray someone. Who might that be? Judas Iscariot. Today, what we'd like to do is take a look at the story of Judas Iscariot and how he was motivated to betray his rabbi, his teacher, his friend even, and, and how that was an essential part of the story of the first Lent, as we might call it, or the first Holy Week leading up to Easter. 
right? But what I want to say here at the outset is as we look at the story of Judas, we're not going to try to pile on more guilt and shame. His reputation is already set for forever. You may know that at the end of things, he committed suicide. Uh, He apparently could not bring himself to repent, and so his soul may be subject to suffering for forever. We don't know. That's not our story to tell or decision to make. But we don't need to pile more onto Judas. We don't need to make some statues or start some bonfires. What we want to do, though, is learn a thing or two from his experience. So we begin um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the night Jesus was betrayed, and it was the night that the culmination of Judas's plans and schemes took place. Matthew 26, verse 47, says it this way. While he was still speaking, that is Jesus, a Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, first of all, I want you to notice what I have in bold here. Can you read that? Um, Judas was one of the twelve. Before we go any further, I just want to note that he was hand-chosen by Jesus from among all of the young men in Israel that were of age to become disciples of a rabbi. For whatever reason, Jesus chose Judas. And what that meant would be he spent three years at least walking with Jesus, eating with Jesus, sitting with Jesus, talking with Jesus, sleeping with Jesus. He was even uh, sent out on mission with the other 11 of the disciples with the authority to preach the good news of the kingdom, to heal the sick, to raise the dead and cast out demons. And from what we could tell in scripture, he had all of that power, authority, and experience as well. But something happened that changed his heart and mind with the end result being that he would betray the one whose life he was at first, at least, seeking to imitate. If we go back a little bit in Matthew, In chapter 26, we see the moment where this departure seems to take place, at least as far as the storyline goes. Chapter 26, verse 14 says, Then one of the twelve, notice this is a repeated theme in all of the passages related to Judas, uh, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment... He sought an opportunity to betray him. Now it's striking. Benedict Arnold, 20,000 pounds. Small fortune maybe in his day. But for Judas and for the chief priests, 30 silver coins seems like a paltry price to pay. Seems kind of rude and disrespectful in the moment. But it had its roots in something that went back far in the history of Israel. Look at this, Exodus 21, 32. Uh, Here God gives commands to Moses, to the people of Israel. If an ox were to gore a slave, male or female, the owner of that animal shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Right, this somewhat obscure passage in the Old Testament actually set a standard which was still true in Jesus' day. The price of a slave was fixed at 30 shekels of silver. So it's no accident that this is what Judas and the chief priests ended on. That The point was pretty clear. They, they didn't think all that much of Jesus, and 30 shekels, the price of a slave, was enough. Now, um, let's go back to the night of Jesus' betrayal. 
Jesus is in the upper room with Judas and the other 11, maybe a few others too, but at least the 12 were at the table with him. Jesus had invited Judas to to join him for that meal. He had broke bread with him. He had given a seat of honor and privilege at the table, along with the other ones we know pretty well, Peter and Andrew, James and John, even Matthew the tax collector. We know those stories pretty well, but Judas was numbered among them. And it was on that night, and it was at that table that Mark tells us Jesus said these things. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were eating, as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, the one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and say to him one after another, Is it I? And he said to them, It is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Um. It seems like it was at that very moment or shortly after that Jesus got up from the table left. That's what this picture depicts. If you can see it on your screens in the lower right-hand corner there, you have Judas in red, kind of a color symbolizing the betrayal, leaving uh, the others behind and going to put into plan uh, what he had been working on for some time and arranging for the uh, mob with the clubs and the knives and the swords and whatever else they brought to meet with Jesus and the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. But to make uh, things even worse, consider how Jesus decided, or how Judas decided to betray Jesus. Matthew 26, verse 48. Now the betrayer, who had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man, sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once, and he said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Now, to most of our uh, Western ears and way of thinking, this seems a little unusual and strange, right? Uh, For better or for worse, most of us don't greet each other with a kiss anymore. Although maybe you know there are some cultures that still do to this day. It's usually, at least from my experience, not like a full-on, in-the-face, lip-to-lip sort of kiss. It's kind of like a little cheek sort of thing. It's pretty cool. There's like cultural norms. It's not unstrange or unusual. It just seems that way to us. And and maybe that was the case in Jesus' day as well, that, that it would be common for a student to greet a rabbi in this way. Uh, maybe this happened often for Judas and Jesus. We don't know for sure because the Bible doesn't say, but it doesn't seem like it was strange in that moment. But just imagine for a moment what was going through Judas's mind. He had arranged to betray his rabbi with a kiss. And imagine for Jesus, who knew it was coming, what it would have been like to be turned over into the hands of sinners in this way. Now, it would be easy for us, as we think about the story of Judas, to just say to ourselves, man, this guy was the worst, right? Um, Benedict Arnold was bad. Judas is worse. And we may think to ourselves, I am so glad that I'm not at all like Judas, And to a degree, that's true, right? I mean, just to be clear, most of us are not going to get to a point where we are going to sell out our Savior for 30 or even 20,000 pieces of coin. We're not talking about that kind of betrayal. 
But before we go too far in condemning these notorious traitors, I want you to think for a little while about the more everyday and kind of little moments of betrayal that are common for all of us. And I want you to think about what is the price that you're willing to sell out your relationship with God for. These little moments of betrayal, these stumblings into sinful patterns that are too common and too frequent for you. Maybe the price of betrayal is greed. Maybe you desire to have wealth and prosperity, and maybe you enjoy it so much so that you're willing to sacrifice everything else to acquire it. Or maybe you're, you're not willing to be generous with what you have because you're afraid that you won't be able to enjoy the lifestyle to which you've been accustomed. Or maybe it's accomplishment. That's the price you're willing to pay. And you want to be the best at your job. You want to advance in your career. You want to be the best in your class or the best on the basketball floor. And so you're willing to leave people behind instead of loving and serving your coworkers and fellow students and friends. Or maybe it's acceptance. Maybe that's a price you're willing to pay. Acceptance by your peers, right? Your coworkers, neighbors, and friends, maybe even some in your family that don't hold to the faith that you hold. You're willing to stay quiet when maybe you should say something, uh, a word of truth, or speak a word of invitation. Uh, or maybe you're willing to change your behavior in certain circles of friends from what you might have at church or with your family or with your church community. Or maybe uh, your small acts of betrayal are little lies that you tell and you can't seem to stop, thoughts that you entertain and you can't seem to let go of, and the list could go on and on, couldn't it? I want you to think for a moment about those little moments of betrayal, not the big Judas Iscariot ones that most of us manage to avoid, but the smaller ones that cut us to the heart and that tear down our relationship with God and slow down our progress in the faith as we seek to become more like Him. My guess is that for most of us in the room, a few things come to mind. And as we stop there, as we dwell for a moment in what it's like for us to experience these little moments of betrayal, I want to remind you of how Jesus treated Judas. You see, we already saw in Mark 14 that Jesus knew what was coming, right? He knew that one of the 12 was going to betray him. And we don't know if Jesus knew that from day one all the way in the beginning. I mean, he's God, so he has a pretty good idea of how things are going to happen, but we know he chose Judas, and we know that he invited him to be his friend. Uh, but we also know that in John 6, for example, a little earlier in the Passion story than even Holy Week, Jesus said this, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And yet it seems that even though Jesus knew of this betrayal and even spoke of it at times, none of the rest of the 12 knew who he was talking about. Because remember in the upper room, they all said, wait a minute, is he talking about me? Does he know something I don't know? Right? So it would seem that Jesus treated Judas no differently than any of the other 12. And consider this, even the moment of betrayal itself, immediately after that kiss on the cheek, how does Jesus respond? He doesn't call him out and say, Man, I knew this was coming. 
you've never been my friend. No, you've been my enemy. You've been betraying me since the beginning of our relationship. He didn't do any of that, even though he could have. But look at what he says. Friend, do what you came to do. And then they came, and then they laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Right? How did Jesus treat Judas even up to the very moment of his betrayal? He extended him friendship and mercy. And there was an opportunity for grace for Judas even here. And here's why that matters. The same is true for you. There is no small moment of betrayal. There is no repeated pattern of sin that if you confess it to him, God will refuse to forgive. His mercy is new for you every morning. His faithfulness never comes to an end. And it hurts him, to be sure, when you continue to fall into sin. It pains him to realize that that's what led to his death on the cross, but his relationship towards you never changes one moment. It never did for Judas, and it never does for you. Why is that? Remember those 30 pieces of silver that uh, Judas sold Jesus for? Remember how it was the price of a slave? At first, that may seem offensive, and to some degree it probably was, but, but remember what Jesus said about himself. Mark 10, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Or, or remember what Paul says in Philippians 2, though he, that is Jesus, was in form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. You could also translate that word in both cases as slave. See, here's the thing. The love of Jesus is so great that even though he had access to everything, every honor, every position of power, everything in all the abundance of heaven, nonetheless, he set them aside to become nothing, to enter our world as a servant, to suffer and to die a slave's death so that he might purchase you back from the power of sin for himself and for eternal glory. Friends, we may struggle with sin, and we do, and, and we may betray our Savior on a daily, hourly, even a moment-by-moment -moment basis because we are still trapped in this broken body and in this broken world. But I want you to remember that Jesus came to set you free from that, and his mercy is available for you in your lowest moment. Being found in human form, Paul goes on to say, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Right? Jesus met Judas in the garden and called him friend. And he meets you through the power of his cross to declare his love over you, that his grace is sufficient for you, that his power is made perfect in your weakness, and that he has suffered all so that you might experience freedom and a restoration of relationship with him and one another. Friends, there are many small acts of betrayal that we experience every day. And in the season of Lent, as we humbly confess them to God and ask for him to remove them from us, he declares to us that his mercy is present for us in those moments. 
and His power and His sacrifice are sufficient to restore us to Him, to one another, and to bring us to everlasting life. So in the moments of your struggle, remember the mercy of God. In the moments of your betrayal, remember the cross. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ unto everlasting life. Amen.